Well, if you would now open your Bibles with me to Genesis chapter 37. Genesis chapter 37. We'll begin reading in verse 12 and read through the end of the chapter. And his brethren went to feed their father's flock in Shechem. And Israel said unto Joseph, Do not thy brethren feed the flock in Shechem? Come, and I will send thee unto them. And he said to him, Here am I. And he said to him, Go, I pray thee, see whether it be well with thy brethren, and well with the flocks, and bring me word again. So he sent him out of the vale of Hebron, and he came to Shechem. And a certain man found him, and behold, he was wandering in the field. And the man asked him, saying, What seekest thou? And he said, I seek my brethren. Tell me, I pray thee, where they feed their flocks. And the man said, They are departed hence. For I heard them say, Let us go to Dothan. And Joseph went after his brethren and found them in Dothan. And when they saw him afar off, even before he came near unto them, they conspired against him to slay him. And they said one to another, Behold, this dreamer cometh. Come now, therefore, and let us slay him, and cast him into some pit, And we will say some evil beast hath devoured him. And we shall see what will become of his dreams. And Reuben heard it, and he delivered him out of their hands, and said, Let us not kill him. And Reuben said unto them, Shed no blood, but cast him into this pit that is in the wilderness, and lay no hand upon him, that he might rid him out of their hands, to deliver him to his father again. And it came to pass, when Joseph was come unto his brethren, that they stripped Joseph out of his coat his coat of many colors that was on him. And they took him and cast him into a pit, and the pit was empty. There was no water in it. And they sat down to eat bread, and they lifted up their eyes and looked, and behold, a company of Ishmaelites came from Gilead with their camels bearing spicery and balm and myrrh, going to carry it down to Egypt. And Judah said unto his brethren, What profit is it if we slay our brother and conceal his blood? Come and let us sell him to the Ishmaelites. And let not our hand be upon him, for he is our brother and our flesh. And his brethren were content. Then there passed by Midianites, merchantmen, and they drew and lifted up Joseph out of the pit, and sold Joseph to the Ishmaelites for twenty pieces of silver. And they brought Joseph into Egypt. And Reuben returned into the pit, and behold, Joseph was not in the pit, And he rent his clothes. And he returned unto his brethren and said, The child is not. And I, whither shall I go? And they took Joseph's coat and killed a kid of the goats and dipped the coat in the blood. And they sent the coat of many colors and they brought it to their father and said, This have we found. Know now whether it be thy son's coat or no. And he knew it and said, It is my son's coat. An evil beast hath devoured him. Joseph is without doubt ran in pieces. And Jacob rent his clothes and put sackcloth upon his loins and mourned for his son many days. And all his sons and all his daughters rose up to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. For he said, I will go down into the grave unto my son mourning. Thus his father wept for him. And the Midianites sold him into Egypt unto Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh's and captain of the guard. We'll end our reading there. Let's bow together in prayer. 
Our Father, we bow before your throne this evening. So thankful for your mercy and grace that allows sinful men and women such as we are to come before your throne crying, Abba, Father. And Lord, I beg of you this evening that you would condescend to meet with us in the person of thy spirit. And Father, that you would enable us to hear a word from thee. Don't let us just go through the motions of religion. But Father, how I beg of you that you would speak to the each heart here this evening through your word. That you would enable each one of us to see the Lord Jesus Christ and his redemptive glory. And Father, that you give us faith to believe him and rest in him. Let us leave here tonight rejoicing in Christ our Savior. He is worthy. He is all. Father, enable us to worship him, we pray. Father, we thank you for the many blessings of this life, how, how richly you've blessed us. And Father, we pray that you'd be with your people that you brought into the time of trouble and trial. These trials don't mean we're not blessed, but they've come from thy hand for our good, for your glory. Father, we pray that you'd give us the patience to wait on thee, the grace to wait on thee, knowing that thou doest all things well. We pray a special blessing for our brother Cecil at this time and his whole family. Father, that you'd undertake in his behalf to comfort the heart and be with them in a special way. We pray for our sister Haley, Father, that you'd heal her body quickly, deliver her from pain and suffering, restore her quickly, we pray. Now, Father, all these things we ask, and we give thanks in that name which is above every name, the name of Christ our Savior. Amen. Now, the story that we just read is an awful story of hatred and betrayal that happened in a family. It's just shameful, isn't it? But as I always try to do when we look at, at stories like this, people behaving this way, I would like for us to quickly remember before we look down our noses at them, let's remember that the same heart of hatred is in each of us. It really is amazing how quickly we can be turned from saying we love one another to hate them. It happens very quickly. And this is also something for us to remember. This is given, this story is given to us as a picture of Christ. This is a picture of the hatred that's in the heart of the natural man towards Christ the Savior. Joseph is a picture of Christ. And the way Joseph's brothers hated him, that's how you and I hate Christ by nature, the nature of man. These brothers, they betrayed their little brother. They're supposed to be taking care of him. The older brother, and he's supposed to be watching out for, for the younger one. And they betrayed him. They planned to kill him and ended up selling him into, into slavery. But this is such a clear picture of how Christ our Savior was betrayed by a close friend and sent to die on the cross bearing the curse of the sin of his people. The most shameful thing ever done in God's creation is the betrayal the torture and the crucifixion of the Lord Jesus Christ. The shameful thing that ever happened. But it had to be that way. It had to be done that way so that God's purpose of redemption would be brought to pass. It has to be this way. Joseph had to be betrayed as a picture of Christ because Christ had to be betrayed. I'm going to give you three reasons why. 
Number one, that the scriptures might be fulfilled. Our Lord himself told his disciples, one of you is going to betray me. Remember how they all said, is it I? Is it I? Is it I? You'll notice not one of them said, oh, it's Judas. I mean, this guy sticks out like a sore thumb. They didn't say that, did they? They said, is it I? He told them he would betray, be betrayed by one of them. And this betrayal is prophesied and pictured all throughout the Old Testament. Here in our text, it's pictured. If you look at Psalm 41, here's a spot where David prophesied of the Lord's betrayal. Psalm 41. Psalm 41, verse 9. Yea, mine own familiar friend, in whom I trusted, wished to eat of my bread, hath lifted up his heel against me. Now this actually happened to David. When Ahithophel, David's most wise and, and trusted servant, he betrayed David and he helped Absalom and Absalom's rebellion against his father David. That actually happened to David. And that happened as a picture of what Judas, who ate bread with the Lord that very night, would betray him. David, or, um, Zachariah also prophesied. Look at Zechariah chapter 11. Next to the last book in the Old Testament, Zechariah. Chapter 11, verse 12. And I said unto them, if ye think good, Give me my price, and if not, forbear. So they weighed for my price 30 pieces of silver. How many years was this written before that transaction happened between Judas and the Pharisees? He even told the exact price they'd settle on, 30 pieces of silver. And the Lord said unto me, Cast it under the potter, a goodly price that I was prized of at them. And I took the 30 pieces of silver and cast them to the potter, in the house of the Lord. You remember Judas came back and said, oh, I betrayed innocent blood. And they said, what's that to us? And he threw the money back at the floor on Adam. They said, this is the price of blood. We can't keep it. And they bought a potter's field to bury poor people in. Prophesied of all those years before this was, this was, ha- this, um, this ever happened to our Lord. Everything that ever happened to our Lord, everything he did, everything that happened to him, was prophesied of in the Old Testament. And Judas too. What he did was prophesied of in the the Old Testament. Everything our Lord did was to fulfill the scriptures. This week I counted at least 33 times in the four gospels. It said this happened that the scriptures might be fulfilled. This happened to bring to pass the the saying of some prophet or another. That the prophet might be fulfilled. This happened, the betrayal of Christ happened to fulfill the scriptures and there's a good reason that it happened that way. Because here's my second point. Here's why the scriptures must be fulfilled. To comfort the hearts of God's people. So that we'll know everything that happens in God's creation is the eternal purpose of God. Salvation that would be accomplished by the, by the betrayal and the suffering and the death of Christ. That is the eternal will and purpose of God. 
And the Lord filled the Old Testament with scriptures and, and prophecies to comfort the hearts of God's people, to remind us over and over and over again. Nothing happens by chance. Nothing. Nothing happens by chance. What is it that happened to you today? It wasn't by chance. It, it was God's eternal purpose. Everything happens that way according to God's eternal will and purpose. And that includes the salvation of God's elect. You know, a lot of people would like to say, oh, let God be sovereign everywhere but salvation. Now you got to leave that up to my choice. Salvation only happens. The salvation of a sinner only happens by the eternal will and purpose of God. God always purposed to save his people by the obedience and by the sacrifice of his son. It was never God's intention to leave salvation up to the dead will of a sinner. Because this is what God knew. If he leaves it up to the, the will of a dead sinner, nobody will ever be saved. It's the will of God that makes the salvation of his people sure. Bob, if God willed it, it'll happen, won't it? It will. It has to. Then if the salvation of a sinner is God's will, it's going to happen. See, it's, it's God's sovereignty and salvation. That's what makes salvation sure. And Lord gave us the Old Testament to show us, and now I grant you, it was hidden from the natural man in types and pictures and shadows. But the Old Testament tells us that salvation has always been in Christ alone. It was never left up to man to accomplish it. Salvation has always been dependent upon Christ's coming and fulfilling and securing that salvation for his people. Since Christ is the one doing the saving, that's what makes salvation sure. The will of the Father makes it sure, and Christ being the one to accomplish it perfectly, that makes the salvation of God's people sure, isn't it? Now come and rest. Come and rest in Christ. Since it all depends upon Christ. That's good reason to rest. Isn't it? You can count on it. I know people say, well, God gave the law so man could, could, could earn his own righteousness. Now that's not so. Scripture, the scriptures tell us that. Why did God give us the law? To show us the exceeding sinfulness of sin. God gave us the law as a mirror so we could look in it and see how sinful we are. <laughs> People say, well, God tried to save people by, the, by the, the law and that didn't work, so God came up with plan B. If there's a God that needs a plan B, he's not God. Isn't that right? God doesn't need a plan B. He always accomplishes his will the first time. God gave us the law to show us our need of Christ. He gave us the law to show us our inability to keep it so we'd be glad to see Christ come. That's why he gave the law, to show us how miserable we are, so that we'd be happy when Christ came, when he came to accomplish salvation by God's eternal purpose. Now here's comfort for your heart. If you believe on Christ, here's some comfort for your heart. God didn't change his mind about salvation in the first 4,000 years of man's Time on earth, did he? All of man's sin and rebellion, he didn't change his mind. He still sent his son 
to suffer and die to pay for the sin of those people. He didn't change his mind. And now 2,000 years later, God still isn't changing his mind. God's purpose of salvation in Christ alone will never change. Will never change. Now come and rest. Come and rest your soul on Christ because it's God's eternal purpose that all salvation be found in Him. Now come rest. Come rest. God is not like you and me. That's our problem by nature. We think God's just like us. Aren't you glad God's not like us? I've changed three or four times today. God never changes. He never changes. If Christ died for your sin, God will never change his mind and cast you out. Never. Now come rest in Christ. Now here's the third thing. This betrayal of Christ. This just like and it's exactly the same with Joseph and his brother. The betrayal of Christ is the only way God's elect could be saved from their sin. It's the only way. And I'll show you this in a minute in this picture. Truth be told, the only way Joseph's brethren can be saved from starving to death is if they first betray Joseph. Let me show you that. I want us to look at Joseph's brothers as a type of God's elect because they're the ones Joseph is going to deliver. I know he's going to sell food to everybody, but you know, Joseph has, has been sent down there to save Israel, to save his, his people alive, God's seed alive. Joseph's brethren, they're a picture of God's elect and all of God's elect, I don't care where you find them, they're guilty of sin. I mean they're guilty as sin. They're guilty of sin. They're just as guilty as any other son of Adam. It's like Joseph's brothers. They're guilty. They're guilty. Years later, Joseph didn't tell his brothers, oh no, no, you, you didn't do it. No, he told him, you meant it for evil. But God meant it for good. And he told him, I forgive you. I forgive you. you did it, but I forgive you. Joseph's brothers are guilty of hatred and plotting to kill their little brother. Now they don't know it yet. They don't know the famine's coming. Joseph doesn't even know it yet. There's famine coming. They're under the sentence of death. This famine is coming. And they don't have the first idea it's coming. They don't have the first idea to prepare for it. They don't have any idea how it is we're going to survive this famine without starving to death. That's God's elected. We're already lost in sin. When we're conceived in our mother's womb, we're lost in sin. We're already dead in sin and we don't have any idea how to obtain life. We're under the sentence of God's wrath and we don't even know it. We're under the condemnation of God for our sin and we don't have any idea how to get out of it. We don't have any idea how to satisfy God's justice. We don't have any idea how to, how to appease God. And here's something else we don't know. We don't know that God has reserved for his people grace because he's purposed grace and salvation for them. Now, let me give you several pictures of this. The brothers have gone out with Jacob's sheep and they're pictures of God's lost sheep. Well, how will they be found? How will they be saved? 
Well, somebody's got to go get them, don't they? Somebody's got to go get them. Joseph said, I'll do it. Look at verse 13 in our text, Genesis 37. And Israel said unto Joseph, Do not thy brethren feed the flock in Shechem? Come, and I will send thee unto them. And he said to him, Here am I. And he said to him, Go, I pray thee, and see whether it be well with thy brethren, and well with the flocks, and bring me word again. So he sent him out of the vale of Hebron, and he came to Shechem. Now in eternity, the father said, I have a people. I have a people that are lost. They're lost in sin. The father didn't need somebody to go get him a report to tell him how they were doing. He already knew how they were doing, didn't he? He already knew that they were lost in, in sin. He knew where they were. But he said to his son, they're lost. Somebody's got to go get them. Who will go for us? Who will go bring those, these sheep home? And the son said, here am I. Send me. That's what Joseph said, isn't it? But when Christ was come, he was come on a, on a mission of mercy. He was come with a, a purpose of grace. But when he came, he was hated, wasn't he? He came into his own. His own received him not. They didn't receive him because they hated him. It's not like they're ambivalent to him. Eh, this, this, his, his doctrine doesn't sound so hot. I just think I'll choose something else. It's not like they were ambivalent. They weren't lukewarm or luke cold or however, you know, that, that, whatever that correct term is. They hated him. That's why they didn't receive him. They hated him. Man by nature hates the Lord Jesus Christ because he's the one that tells us we're lost. He's the one. He's the one that tells us we're defiled by sin. I know preachers can tell you all the time how sinful you are. This is a sin, this is a sin, this is a sin. I tell you how I channel surf around, stop at these channels I shouldn't be stopping on, just like rubbernecking at a wreck on the side of the road. But he was, he, I mean, he was, he was hammering on, on sexual immorality. And if we just stop this sexual immorality, everybody, you know, get all fixed up. No, they wouldn't. Having some preacher just pound and pound and pound at you, telling you, you're doing this wrong, you're doing this wrong, you're doing this wrong, you're doing this wrong. That doesn't show you your sin. You know, when I found out I was a sinner, I told somebody this this week, and I said, I've been a five-point Calvinist as long as I've understood language. But I didn't know the Lord. I believed in total depravity. You know when I found out I'm totally depraved? You know when I found that out? When I saw the Lord. Seeing Him in His perfection, in His holiness, in His glory. Oh, now I know I'm a sinner. Isn't that what Job said? I've heard of you at the hearing of the ear. Now mine I see of you. Wherefore I abhor myself. See, it's Christ that reveals the dead nature of our sin. It's his life that shows our, our dead nature. It's his holiness that shows our depravity. But the natural man, even when we get a glimpse of our sin, you know what we do if God leaves us to ourselves? We won't hate ourselves because of our sin. We won't beg God for mercy because of our sin. No, we'll hate Christ because he's the one that showed me sin. I mean, that's like me getting on the, on the scale in the morning and hating the scale because it says I'm overweight. That's just not smart. 
We want to kill the messenger because the messenger tells us the truth. The messenger's Christ, isn't it? And that's why Joseph's brothers hated him. They hated him because he was his, his father's favorite. They hated Joseph for his dreams that foretold how they're going to come and bow down to him. And they saw him coming and they said, nobody's looking. Let's take him and kill him. Then we'll see what happens to his dreams. Isn't that exactly what their descendants who became scribes and Pharisees all those years later, isn't that exactly what they said about the Lord Jesus Christ? Let's take him and kill him. As he was hanging there on the cross, mocking and saying, let's see if God will have him now. You say you're the son of God? Come down from the cross and we'll believe you. But if you don't come down from the cross, you must not be the son of God. We're seeing now what happened to all this prophecy and all this, everything you say. We're seeing what happens, happening to it now. You're dying. That's what's happening. You said you can destroy the temple and, and, and rebuild it in three days? Well, come down from the cross. We'll see what's happening to your saying. The temple's not being destroyed. You say, they said, you're the king of the Jews. Well, we'll see what happens to that saying. We're seeing it now. Look at that crown you're wearing. It's a crown of thorns. Look at that scepter you have. It's just no reed. Just a, just a weak old reed. You say you're a king. We got a purple robe for you. It's just an old rug we got laying around. We'll throw it over your lacerated back and <laughs> look what look what is becoming of you. What you saying that you're the king of the Jews? That's the very thing Joseph's brother said as they're on their way home after they sold Joseph into slavery. Huh. Bow down to him. I wish we would. <laughs> That's what they're saying. And let's see what what happens to his, his dreams. Now, what Joseph's brothers did to him was despicable. I just, it's, it's despicable. You parents would shudder to think of some of your children doing this to, to one of your other children. But you know what? It's the only way they could be saved alive years down the road in Egypt. It's the only way. When Joseph's brothers betrayed him, they became a picture of Judas. Now, how Judas betrayed our Lord is despicable. The other apostles, it doesn't seem to me like they really ever got over it. You know, when, when they when they write about Judas, it's just John when he was writing, he says, and Judas stood with them. Like he still couldn't believe it. Judas stood with them. He stood with this crowd that was coming to coming to take the Lord. He couldn't believe it. What he did is despicable, and God said he'll hold him accountable. But you know what? Judas betraying the Lord. That's the only way God's elect could be saved from their sin. I'm going to give you several ways that that's true. First, Joseph is sold into slavery as a picture. This is the only way God's elect could be saved from their sin. See, you and I have sold ourselves under sin. And there's a price on our head that we cannot pay. So Christ came. And he took the place of his people. He took their debt and made it his. And he paid it. He became sold under sin. When he was made sin for his people, he became responsible for that sin. It's his sin. He's responsible for it. He sold himself under sin in the place of his people as their substitute. And he paid the price. 
with his precious blood so that his people would go free. And if he hadn't been betrayed, if Judas hadn't betrayed him, Christ would never have been taken and sold under sin because nobody could take him against his will. See, this he had to be betrayed just exactly like he prophesied that it would, so that he would so that he would be crucified to pay the price for his people. Second, Joseph had to become a slave. The favorite son of Jacob became a slave as a picture of Christ who came to this earth as a servant. Joseph, well, you think how this, this kid's life changed. He's 17, 18 years old when this happened. He, he'd always lived in the protection of his, his family and of the protective hand of his father. And suddenly he's in a pit. He's sold to a bunch of Ishmaelites hauled in a, in a wagon down to Egypt to a land he doesn't know anybody. He doesn't know the language. He doesn't know the customs. He doesn't know anybody. And he sold into, into slavery to this man named Potiphar. And Joseph prospered there. I mean, this, I mean, I know God blessed him and God was with him, but now God gave this man some, some special, this special wisdom and understanding. He prospered as a servant. That reminds you of anybody else you've heard of? In that Christ our Savior, he came as the servant and he prospered. The pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. As a servant, he did it everything that the father required of him and he did it perfectly he obeyed God's law so that his people would be made righteous his obedience is the obedience of his people he made his people the very righteousness of God in him he even obeyed his father to suffer and die for the sin of his people to bear bearing this the curse of their sin and that never would have happened if Judas hadn't first betrayed him. Third, Joseph had to become a prisoner. He had to become a, a, a prisoner as a picture of Christ who became a prisoner. The Savior became a prisoner of God's justice when he was a substitute for his people. Joseph was taken as a prisoner against his will. Christ was taken as a prisoner because it was his will. It was his will that he, that, that he be taken prisoner. Otherwise, he never could have been taken. That's why when that mob came to him and he told them, whom seek ye? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. He said, I am. They all fell over backwards. This is just to let you know the only way you're taking me is if I let you. You're not taking me at your will. You're taking me at my will. I am, he said. They never could have taken him otherwise. But he had to be taken prisoner. Christ had to be taken a prisoner to the jailhouse of sin because that's the only way his people could go free. Christ set his people free from the jailhouse, not by having a jailbreak, but by satisfying justice, by taking their place in the jailhouse and satisfying justice for them, by paying the price that they could never pay. And that never would have happened if Judas hadn't first betrayed him. Fourth, Joseph had to be thrown into a pit so that he could suffer as a type of Christ who was suffering for the sin of his people. Verse 24 tells us they, that they took him and cast him into a pit and the pit was empty. There was no water in it. They threw Joseph down in the wilderness. He'd been walking all this way 
I know he's thirsty already when he gets there. No, he is. And they threw him down this pit where there, there's no water. Don't you, aren't you just sure that he cried and asked his brothers for a drink? And he's crying, can't you let me free? Can't you at least give me a glass of water? Who does that remind you of? The Savior on the cross cried, I thirst. He wasn't saying he was thirsty for water. Tell you what he was saying. I'm thirsty for righteousness. When Christ was made sin for his people, he thirsted for righteousness because he'd been made sin. And that never could have happened if Judas hadn't first betrayed him. Then fifth, Joseph's brothers stripped him of his beautiful coat. That coat of many colors is a picture of the character of Christ. They stripped him naked. And they did that as a picture of Christ who suffered and died naked before both God and me. It had to be horrible to be stripped naked and beaten and mocked. That just had to be horrible. To be taken and nailed to a hunk of wood and hanging there naked, unable to cover yourself, unable to do anything, just have people making fun of you, had to be horrible. But I tell you what was much more humiliating and horrible than that. When Christ was made sin, he hung naked before his father. He was stripped of his glory and he suffered before his father being made sin. And he suffered everything that sin deserved. Being made sin, that wouldn't bother you and me too much because that's all we are. For the Holy Son of God to be made sin and hang naked before his Father. Oh, the suffering, the humiliation, the torture of that. That's why he cried, I thirst. He did that to let his people know, I've taken the curse of sin from you. I've taken your sin into my own body on the tree, and I'm putting it away so you'll never have to. But none of that ever could have happened unless Judas first betrayed him. Then six, Joseph had to be sold into, into Egypt as a slave so that he could then become king. He had to first be a slave before he could become king and save many people alive during those years of famine. Now Joseph's brothers, when we read this, they saw him coming and boy, they, I mean, oh, they hated this kid. They immediately plotted to kill him. But the Lord intervened for his purpose. See, Joseph is, is just a man like you and me. He had to be alive down in Egypt so, so that he could become king. And that never would have happened if, if his brothers had sold him into slavery. You know, if Judah had his way, he kind of hustled Joseph out of that pit and hustled him back to his father. And Joseph never would have been in Egypt, would he? Now, he had to be sold there so that he could go down there and be in Egypt when it was time for him to be king. Now here's what's different between Joseph and our Savior. The Lord Jesus Christ did have to die. He actually had to die 
so that his blood would be shed to put away the sin of his people. And his blood never would have been shed if Judas hadn't had betrayed him first. Look at Romans chapter 14. See, before he could be king, Christ had to suffer and he had to die so that he earned the right to be king. So he bought the right to be king. Romans 14 verse 9. For to this end, for this purpose, Christ both died and rose and revived. For this purpose, that he might be Lord, that he might be king, both of the dead and the living. See, Christ had to go down. He had to suffer. He had to die. He had to rise again so that he would become king. So that he earned the right to be king of both the dead and the living. And that's what he did. But Judas had to betray him first, didn't he? Then here's the last thing. Joseph had to be betrayed by his brothers so that years later, there would be good news to tell. There was a lot of years of suffering. I mean, I just hate to think about how Joseph suffered all that time. How he suffered and languished in prison. How he, he suffered missing his family, missing his father, missing his, his brothers. Just, oh, I, I, I just can't think how he suffered. This is, this what a horrible existence. But he had to go through all that. He had to be betrayed. He had to go through all that. So that years and years later, there'd be good news to tell. In the seven years of famine, when people didn't have any bread, Pharaoh had good news to tell. People came to Pharaoh expecting him to give them bread. And you know what Pharaoh had good news to tell? Go to Joseph. <laughs> Joseph, give you all you want. Go to Joseph. But that never would have happened if Joseph's brothers hadn't betrayed him years ago, would it? Now what Judas did it, it is inexcusable. I'm in... I hope you understand I'm in no way glorifying or excusing what Judas did. What he did was horrible. But since Judas betrayed the Savior so that he went and he suffered and he died for the sin of his people, since that horrible thing happened, I have good news to tell you tonight, 2,000 years later. Brother, there's mercy in Christ. Now come to Christ. There's salvation for your soul in Christ. Now come to Christ. There's life for your dead soul in Christ. Now come to Christ. Your sin, which is more vile and the debt bigger than we can even begin to imagine, your sin is forgiven in the blood of Christ. Now, come to Christ. Come pleading His blood. Come pleading His merit. Christ died so that His people would never die. Christ was condemned so that His people would never be condemned. And I say this especially 
for you who believe, for your, your comfort. We know what we know, don't we? We know the doctrine that we know. We know the truth that we know. But we're in this body of flesh. And unfortunately, how this flesh feels <laughs> kind of somehow interferes with what we know. When the Lord sends a trial your way, it's going to hurt. If not, it's not a trial. It's going to hurt. And it feels like the Lord's punishing you, doesn't it? It feels like that the Lord's going to condemn you. It feels like he's going to cast you off. You know what it feels like? But it's not so. If Christ was cast off for you, Remember when he cried, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? If the father turned his back on his son because of your sin, he'll never forsake you. Never. If the father condemned his son for your sin, he'll never condemn you. He'll always accept you with open arms. And even though, no, 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 we don't see it. We don't understand it. Maybe maybe we'll see it years down the road. But even those trials that he sends us are for our good. Because you know what a trial does to an unbeliever? It drives them from, from Christ, doesn't it? It drives them from the gospel. You know what a trial does to God's people? It draws them up closer to Christ. So even that's for our good, isn't it? Let me tell you one more time. Come to Christ and beg for mercy. Don't let your sin, don't let your weakness, don't let your lack of faith stop you from coming to Christ. Come to Christ for just that reason. Come to Christ because you are a sinner. I've got good news for sinners. Christ died for sinners. Christ's death saved sinners. And I wouldn't have that good news to tell if Judas hadn't first betrayed the Lord. So that was a despicable thing. But like we've seen so often in our study in Genesis, isn't that a mighty good illustration of God bringing good out of evil? That's what he does for his people. I hope that'll be a blessing and comfort to your heart. Let's bow together. Our Father, we bow before you. Father, we beg your blessing on your word. Father, I, I beg of you that you take your word and apply it to the hearts of your people for your glory. Father, that you'd speak to the hearts of your people. Don't let the, the stumbling and the bumbling and the weakness of the, of the voice interfere. But Father, speak to the hearts of your people. Comfort our hearts by revealing to us the Lord Jesus Christ and causing us to run to him. Let us see his glory and how he has completely and utterly saved his people from their sin. Father, it's in Christ's name. For his sake and his glory we pray. Amen. All right. Sean, come listen and closing hymn.